Thanks for tuning into the Refuge Church Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that the Spirit would use God's Word to stir your affections for Christ during this time. While we're glad to provide this online content, please remember that it's not intended to replace commitment and connection within a local church family. Now, here's this week's message. the Sunday in which we recall the hope we have in Christ. The prophets of Israel all spoke of the coming of Christ, of how a savior would be born, a king in the line of David. They spoke of how, we, they spoke of how we, he would rule the world wisely and bless all nations. Jeremiah 33, 14 through 16. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the gracious promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called, the Lord our righteousness. As the followers of Christ, we await his return. We light this candle to remember that as he came to us humbly in the manger at Bethlehem and gave light to the world, so also he is coming again in power to deliver his people. Let's pray. Loving, Loving God, we thank you for the hope you give us. Help us prepare our hearts for the Lord's coming. Bless our worship. Help us live holy and righteous lives. We, we ask, ask it in, in the, the name, name of Jesus, Jesus Christ, the one, one born, born in Bethlehem. In Bethlehem. Amen. Amen. I think Joel Waymack, like a couple of years, oh, that is loud. You turn me down a little bit, I, at least for me, turn me down a little bit. I think Joel Waymack is not here this morning because he's with a puking child, but um, I think a couple of years ago he was tried to get us to say happy expectant longings or something like that. Is that what it was? Was it 100%? Did it catch on? <laughs> it, did, it did not catch on. It, does, it doesn't have the same ring as Merry Christmas. Merry, a Merry Christmas to you. So, but but expect, happy expectant longings. It is the season of Advent, as we've heard multiple times this morning. We have the Christmas decorations up, but really, it's about expectation and about waiting. It's, a, it's kind of a similar precursor season to Christmas at, like Lent is to Easter. It's a time of expectation. It's a time of reflection. Uh, contemplation, all kinds of things. It's a, it's a really beautiful time. So, uh, the theme for our Advent this year is wait and remember. And uh, we are starting off with Abraham. Do you guys, you guys know Abraham? Did anybody, does anybody else, when you hear the, the words Father Abraham or Abraham, have the song pop into your head? Do you know the song that I'm talking about? Did anybody, just a show of hands really quick. I'm not trying to alienate anybody. Did you guys know? So now the, the critical thing is for the people who don't know what the song is, I need somebody who's willing to stand up and skip right to the end and do all the motions for Father. Anybody? You guys are going to make me look like an idiot. That's fine. All right. So the, the way the song would go is a children's song, and it's really just a sad excuse to get everybody, like get all the wiggles out before you tried to teach them about Jesus. That's all it was. It's like Father, Father Abraham and many sons. Father Abraham many sons. And it was like, uh, right arm, left arm, right foot, left foot, nod your head, turn around, Father Abraham. And then he said, now, some people would just like go whole hog and like 
turning as fast as they could, and I was more of like a stay on the rhythm, like, so that was, and now I'm a little bit dizzy, but, so sorry. Uh, yeah, so we're going to talk about Abraham. Abraham, uh, Abraham's important in the Bible, if you're not familiar with the Bible story. So lots of world religions, uh, lots of ancient cultures have as their archetype or have as their uh, hero or the foundation, the kind of the tone that sets the, the vibe for their whole cultural thing, uh, a hero or a warrior or a king or a god. And so it wouldn't be unusual to go into an ancient culture and hear stories about these crazy exploits of gods and heroes and warriors and men and women of valor who would go and conquer and beat monsters and do all kinds of, and, and these were used as stories to set the tone for a culture and for a people and like stake our claim and this is who we are and this is what we do and this is the kind of people we are. And we even like, that's, that's not crazy to us because even in the United States of America, we're a nation like the war that defined us, the Revolutionary War, is still woven into the fabric of, does it, you, are they still teaching about the Revolutionary War in school? Am I, just to, just to check, right? It's still a thing? Yes, it was important. And so that, even today, is evident. Pieces of stories of people and heroes and times and places of the Revolutionary War that defined us as a nation are still part of the fabric of who we are. Not a foreign concept. So ancient cultures had this too, but it was kind of cranked up quite a bit because there was, well, it was, it was a lot. It was formational for them. So what is Israel's foundational, <laughs> was Israel's foundational story? Israel's foundational story, the characters in Israel's foundational story, the origins of the, the people of God, the nation of Israel, is an, an elderly couple who uh, were trying and failing and learning the hard way to try to trust in God's promises. And I say the hard way with sincerity. If we, I know the hard way. If the Jacobs family had a motto, we say this all the time, if we had a t-shirt made for our family, it would be the Jacobs family, everything the hard way. That would be, that's just how we go. That's how we roll. And so uh, this story of Abraham and his family, Abraham and Sarah, so their names began as Abram and Sarai. He was about 75 years old. He gets called out of, he was actually part of a large city, like the center of commerce and technology and industry as it existed in the ancient world, um, Ur of the Chaldeans. So this was, this was a, a hot civilization. And so God comes to Abram and says, get out of there and you're just gonna go. <laughs> you're just gonna go. I want you to go to a place that I'm gonna show you, undetermined, I'm gonna go to a place I'm gonna show you and I'm gonna make of you a great nation. This is, this is how it all is gonna get started. And so at 75 years old, and his wife Sarah at 65 years old, take everything they've got, and they start the journey, and they just get going. So uh, God makes this promise to Abraham in uh, Genesis 12, one through three, and the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I'll make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. This is something that's in the fabric of the ancient biblical world is this idea that, that uh, a dragon-crushing, snake-crushing figure is gonna come through some family line and is going to rise up and deliver the world from evil and bring blessing and life to the world. And so 
there's, this is kind of in the fabric of, of their understanding. And so Abraham is very excited, obviously, about this. And God's promise comes to him. And Abraham steps out in faith and he does the thing. He packs up and he leaves. And that's fantastic. And so when we look at Abraham's life and we see that God gives him direction, he moves out, awesome, starts out great. Almost immediately in the story of Abraham, again, remember, this is the foundational story that God is telling about his people and how his people are gonna be formed. The foundational story, uh, Abraham almost immediately begins to make really bad decisions all in the interest of defending his life. So God's made this promise to him. So the, the God of all things has come to him and said, I'm gonna make of you a great nation. It's going to be okay. Go on out. And immediately, so they, they go to a foreign land and he's, <laughs> looks, he, they're going to a, a place and they're not, you know, these people probably don't fear God. So he says to his wife, listen, hun, you are super hot. Here's the thing. So they're gonna see you and they're gonna be like, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna kill this guy and we're gonna take his hot wife and all of his stuff. And this is his thought process. God has just promised to this guy, to his family, to go out and to make him a great nation and that promise of God is going with him and his immediate reaction is to kinda, kinda throw the tables over and say, well, I, okay, but still, like, let, me, let, me, let me handle this, right? Like this is, I can do this. And so we begin to see these peaks and valleys in the life of Abraham. Um, and so they, uh, God delivers them out of that situation. They, the nation um, that they went into where this whole thing happened, this, this initial uh, really bad decision, uh, suffered the consequences of that because God's promise is with him. And so they go out and God has to clarify, Abraham, listen, <laughs> when I said I'm gonna make a great nation of you, what I meant was that you're going to have offspring, like you're, you're, gonna, have, you're gonna have kids and they're gonna, you're gonna have a child, there'll be a son, a promise, and you're, gonna, you're going to be the father of a great nation yourself. I'm gonna make you a multitude of, of nations. And so um, in Genesis 15, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abraham, I am your shield and your reward shall be very great. And Abraham says, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, this man shall not be your heir, for your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him out and said, look toward heaven, and number the stars if you're able to number them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So Abraham and Sarah receive another promise, a reaffirmation of the promise of God that a child's gonna come, it's gonna be okay. And they wait, they wait about 10 years and they're already pretty advanced in age. And it's already a little bit of a stretch that they're gonna have a child. They wait about 10 years and they start doing some creative problem solving, um, which I think is the, is the diplomatic way to say that, right? You guys familiar with the story? Maybe not. So Sarah's not having any kids, and she says, well, I have the servant. Maybe, maybe God's promise is gonna come through her. Maybe, maybe, we, maybe we just work this out. Maybe, and so they make another series of bad decisions. And a child is born. And the consequences of those decisions, so, so the, the picture is people who've already waited for a really long time 
for something, observing the world around them. And at 75 and at 65 years old, they go out on faith, trusting God um, that, that his promise is going to come to fruition, that the thing that he promised is going to happen. And, and for a while, that works, and, and then what happens is time passes. And so it's a funny thing about time is it tends to wear us down a little bit. The idea that something good is coming is exciting, and a promise even that something good is coming can be very exciting and something to pin our hopes on, but then time happens. And so in the days between these promises and the affirmations of the promises, the thing is that you have to get up and live your life every day. You've got to get up and you've got to work and you've got to look back and try to remember the promise that, that I'm doing the same thing I did yesterday and the day before that and the day before that and also, oh yeah, the day before that as well and still remember that this promise is true and the promise is good and the God who promised is faithful and is good. And that gets really, really hard. You guys know what I'm talking about a little bit? So Abraham and Sarah struggled. The consequences of not waiting, of trying to short circuit the passage of time, were severe. When Abraham lied to defend his own life and put his wife in a precarious situation, what resulted was pain and suffering on the behalf of the people that they engaged with. And this happened multiple times. When they engaged in creative problem solving to try to solve the barrenness situation, that resulted in, in an entirely different brain. It's like, it's the, I wasn't even gonna, no. So like the, you know how like the Marvel's doing the whole thing with the timelines, like the just branches. That's kind of what that feels like a little bit in, that, in the Genesis story where it's like, oh, no, no, you, no, that's, that's not right. You're not supposed to do that. Oh, it happened. Okay, well, that's a whole new branch of reality that's happening now. Okay, so Ishmael and the, all the nations that come from him and the wars that happened as a result and the conflict. And, and so the, the consequence, what, what we're being drawn in to see is that the consequence of not trusting God in these things and not trusting him even in the passage of time that tends to wear us down day after day after day, can be very serious. That can be really severe and have, have those consequences. But that God could even use those things in his faithfulness to bring about his purposes and that actually ultimately his purposes can't actually be thwarted. And so this is a lifelong lesson that they're learning over and over and over and over again, cycle after cycle of trusting God and then getting impatient and not being able to wait, and not remembering the promises, and not remembering the things that came before, and not remembering what God has promised ahead, the, the good things that are to come. The temptation has always been, ever since the garden, our first parents, the temptation has always been to short-circuit the process, to not put up with the passage of time, to get impatient, and to say, because God, God's, God's desire for his, his creations, for his image bearers, is to give them wisdom, is to grow them, and to make them image bearers and all of that fullness in the world to bring good and life and beauty into the world. That's what he wants to do. That is, that is his mission, even in the Garden of Eden. And the promise of the tree, of knowing good and bad, or the knowledge of good and evil, is that it was desirable to make one wise. It was a short circuit to the process to say, let me just get there quickly. So I, uh, I took an art class in high school. Did anybody ever take an art class? Did you? I, could, I don't remember if I had to take it. I don't think I had to take it. I, I liked art. I really loved art. So I took an art class in high school. And the art teacher was also the wrestling coach. So he was, 
Actually, I was gonna say he's a big dude, but actually he was probably about my size, because I was smaller back then. But anyway, so he was a really nice guy. His name was Mr. Keen. Um, you know, had one of those, like, he'd give you the look. But so I, I, you know, I got into art class and I was all ready to do art. I'm like, give me the art. I'm all about it. Ready, let's go. I just want to paint some stuff. And so uh, the, we jump in and, it, and the first phase is painting and we're going to do painting and it's very exciting. And I'm like, all right, yes, I got this. And so I went home and I turned on my old buddy, Bob Ross, um, because I was like, I watched him growing up and this is where it all pays off right now, actually. So all those fantastic techniques for happy little trees and happy accidents. And then I turned out later, I don't know if my mother's watching this on YouTube, but I turned out later that I realized I had some kind of like warm emotional connection to Bob Ross because he had the same hairstyle as my grandmother. It's like that white fro thing. So that was like a psychological thing that happened. But so anyway, so I'm in, I'm, I'm in art class and I decide here's what I'm gonna do. I'm just gonna use all those skills that my friend Bob taught me and I'm just gonna go to town. And so I'm like, I'm looking for like house paintbrushes and stuff, and I'm you know I do I do my thing. And I'm really proud of what I'm producing, right? It's re it's really exciting. It's beautiful stuff, amazing, and it's and compared to the rest of my classmates, it's like they're 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 paying attention. You know, we're a few weeks in, and they're all like color theory and composition and technique and blah 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 blah. And meanwhile, I'm churning out happy trees, right? <laughs> so obviously, I'm going to be the envy of the class. But we get to the end of. Uh, that, that class, and my final grade included the words, stop watching Bob Ross and pay attention in class. <laughs> that was, that was my, and I was like, I was really crushed by that, by Mr. Keene, so if Mr. Keene ever hears this sermon, just know, ouch man, that really, that got me, but also hard truth, and I hear you. So, the, the nature of humanity, and you can think of a thousand ways that this has happened in your life, the, our nature is to try to take the power for ourselves, and to try to short circuit, short circuit the process of waiting. But there's something God has planned. So just think about this for a second. Time is God's idea. It's not something we, we don't usually think about the fishbowl we're in, right? God, God lives outside of time. He also lives inside of time. He, he penetrated space and time and came in the form of Jesus of Nazareth, lived and walked among us, what did we say? Live the life we should have lived, died the death we should have died, rose again on the third day to bring new life. But time is God's idea. So while we're sitting here doing this about everything, God's like, welcome to class. This is, stop watching Bob Ross. <laughs> Actually, you don't have to stop watching Bob Ross. Bob, Bob's delightful. Who doesn't love Bob Ross? But, Stop watching Bob Ross and pay attention in class. This is what humans have been called to, image bearers of God have been called to from the very beginning. In the foundational story of the nation of Israel, God's people, the family history, the family story is that's gonna lead all the way to the God man coming into space and time and, and changing everything. This story, this foundational story is fundamentally about, uh, one of its core truths is not short-circuiting the process. Trust God's goodness and his time and his faithfulness and don't short-circuit the process. And that's okay. So we, we want to take the reins on everything and we want to change the world and we want to do all those things and Abraham fell victim to those things too. And, but but there's, there's, some important, there's an important word in, in the promises that God gave. God said, I will make you a great nation. Do you, do you hear the important words in there? What are the important words in I will make you a great nation? 
I will. I will make you a great. I will make you a great nation. Abraham, I will do that. I'm going to make you a great nation. Oh, awesome, great. Okay, cool. That, that's awesome. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to deceive some kings. I'm going to get their stuff, and that'll be good. No, 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 no. What's going to happen is you're going to have, a, you're going to have offspring. You're going to have children. Got it. Yeah, well, I mean, so, I mean, Sarah, that's not working out because we're both real old, but, but the, you know, this other option, like, that's a thing I could do. No, 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 no. You're not, no, no, no. Your wife, Sarah, is going to have a child because I like to do things in a way that can't be attributed to human effort. God likes to do things in a way that can't be, we can't chase it back. And Abraham reflects God's heart in this sometimes because there's this uh, there's a battle situation and uh, a king offers him a bunch of stuff for helping out. And Abraham throws his hands up and he's like, no, it was a, it was a moment of clarity, it was a moment of faithfulness. He throws his hands up and says, no, I, I'm not going to take that because what, what we're not going to say at the end of this story is that the king of Sodom has made me rich. That's all, that's all the king of heaven. That's the God of all things. That's, that's what he's doing. And so he has moments of clarity. But there are these peaks and valleys in life, just like we all go through, where at some moments it's really, really clear, and faithfulness makes sense. And then we have some moments where it's just been so long, and it's been so hard, and I don't understand why this is happening, and I don't understand why this is taking so long, and we want to short-circuit the process, and we want to say, can we just fix this? Or it's very tempting and very easy to be angry about the situation and say, I'm, God, why? I don't, I don't understand this. And, and God, in his love, says, I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to say, stop watching Bob Ross and pay attention in class. But he says, child, listen, I, I love you. no. That this, all of it, every moment of it, no second of your life is wasted. God's sovereignty in all of these things, in every, in even the most difficult, painful, complex things in our lives, come to us by the grace of God. Even, even the hardest of moments and the, the deepest of tragedies, all of these things come to us by the love and the faithfulness of a good God. And so, learning to trust Him and to trust His promises in the process. And the promise, the same promise that was made to Abraham, the same promise that was made back in the garden, the, the promise that God would one day fully and finally set everything right is the same promise that we live by. We live and breathe by that promise as followers of Jesus. We trust that he came to do the thing that none of us could ever do, that no one in history could ever do except him, and that he will fully and finally accomplish it. But in the meantime, there are days and there are hours and there are to-do lists, and there are doctor's appointments, and there are counseling sessions, and there are funerals, and there are weddings. All of these things come to pass in between, and they call for us to wait and trust and remember our good God. Uh, so in, in the life of Abraham and Sarah, and we can, I've got, we're gonna look at Hebrews 11, just eight through 19, just really quick, just as a recap. So. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, the author of Hebrews is reflecting on the life of Sarah and, and Abraham. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs of the same promise, his son and his grandson. 
For he was looking forward to a city that had foundations, whose designer and builder is God. At the, at the end of Abraham's life, the Holy Spirit, the author of Hebrews here, gives us a peek into what was going on behind the scenes here. So in the beginning of Abraham's life, the thing that he was running toward was the greatness of the nation promised, the greatness of the legacy of the land promised to him. But by the end, what we see in this reflection, it's a peek behind the curtain given to us by the Spirit, is that what Abraham was really longing for was a city whose builder and maker was God. And in the ancient imagination, and we can think of it this way now, that the, the city established by a king was a way to live in the king's presence. Uh, the city established, the kingdom established by the king was a way to come into the good rule and reign of his kingdom and to live the life that he was providing and to live within the walls and within the family and the community and the culture that were surrounded, gathered and created by this king. And so this is a statement that that what Abraham was longing for at the end of his life, kind of the curtain gets pulled back on all of those desires. And what we see he's really longing for is that communion with God in the city that he builds, in the kingdom of God where he rules and reigns, where his love and his will and his wisdom has all the say, calls all the shots. That's the place Abraham wanted to live. By faith, Sarah herself received power, to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand on the seashore. These all died in the faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they're seeking a homeland if they'd been thinking about the land from which they'd come, they would have had the opportunity to return, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So by the end of their lives, the curtain is pulled back and we realize that what they had been longing for all along was this communion with God. And in the birth of Isaac, after <laughs> after. Abraham's plan A didn't work out because it wasn't God's plan A. And Abraham, the plan B didn't work out because it wasn't God's plan A. And plan C, uh, kind of. After all of the trial and error, after all of the ups and downs, all the peaks and valleys, and all the failures and stumbling and getting back up and trusting God's faithfulness and then falling on your face again, at the end of all of it, they realized that at the end, the birth of Isaac wasn't the result of any human effort. In the same way that we can't generate salvation for ourselves. We can't save the world around us. We can't save ourselves and we can't save anybody around us. We just kind of, it feels like we just live in the mess of it. And when we feel that, that is, that is a thing that drives us to God. But we have to be honest with ourselves about that, about the state of our hearts and about the state of the world. And seeing that that life, that true life is only sourced by God himself is critical. But at the end of their lives, they're, we get a peek. We, we see that, that this is how it is. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. The test of Abraham's life was 
a test that God gave him at the end of this long road of waiting for the promised child. And maybe it take maybe he had to be 115 or 16, 115, 120 to to understand to get to the point where he could hear something like this from God and trust God's goodness and God's faithfulness enough to know that that even this was going to work for his good, that even this would draw him closer to the God who is his friend and his provider. When tested, he offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was even able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. God's call to Abraham was to take his son and to sacrifice him on a mountaintop, which sounded as crazy to Abraham as it does to us right now. Human sacrifice wasn't, wasn't like outlandish in the ancient world. It happened. But everything that Abraham knew about this God up to this point, it didn't sound, it didn't seem right. Like it, he didn't, they, there had to have been some confusion at some point. And by this age, all of the hills and valleys, of all, all of that being able to look back at his life and see all the times that he tried to take matters into his own hands and go his own way and short circuit the process and not wait, and not be patient. By God's grace, by the time he had reached this age, and he had, could hold in his arms, could embrace the child of promise that he had waited for for so long, the faithfulness was there to trust in God's goodness, to trust in God's provision, to trust in his mercy, to trust in his faithfulness. And that trust extended beyond the power of death which was the thing that scared him initially, even after God promised him, you're going to be a great nation. I'm going to do this. I'm going to make, I'm going to make you a great nation. And immediately begins lying to defend his own life. Here at the, at the end of this story, he's trusting God's faithfulness even beyond the consequences and the apparent uh, abyss of death. He sees, he sees that God is faithful and powerful and can actually reverse death itself. And so we see, we see so much in this. And the author of Hebrews brings this out in a beautiful way in a long string of stories of faithfulness to understand that God's purposes in all of this are actually for our good and for his glory, which, which brings additional good for everything, for all of creation. Understanding that is so important that this is the foundational story for the nation of Israel. God's relationship, God's covenant relationship, his covenant love and promises to this man, to his family, to Abraham and Sarah, are the foundation of how this whole thing even got started. This is the thing that he wants us to look back and reflect on. So we think about looking back and remembering as we wait between the advents. Here we are between the advents. And this, so this season's really hard. It's really complicated. For me, when I was a kid, it was, it was easier. I just saw all of this as Christmas season because in the Jacob's house, the day after Thanksgiving and sometimes before Thanksgiving, the tree was up and the lights were on and the Christmas music, Bing Crosby was on the, the record player because we had a record, we had a record player, people. This, records are these big circular things and you put the needle on and it spins around like you see in the old movies. Um, Bing Crosby on the record player. 
lights, candles, all of it. And I knew this was supposed to be a time of peace and of love and of happiness and of joy. And Jesus was in there somewhere. Jesus was, you know, I mean, we had, we had a really cool, um, like a statue of like Santa bowing down to pray to Jesus in the manger. Did anybody else, have you, has anybody ever seen this? It was super weird. My brother's over there. Do you remember this thing? It was crazy. So it was beautiful. My, it was, it's fine. It's whatever. It's, it's, but it, it was just like when I, think, when I think of like warm, fuzzy Christmas memories. So the first CD that I bought myself, when I, when I got a job, I got my first job, I bought a, uh, a boombox. Boombox. It was like, you know, it wasn't very big. It was, it was a CD player. And I was explaining compact disc technology to my parents. And I, I go to Best Buy. And I, I bought the, uh, the Vince Guaraldi's Charlie Brown Christmas soundtrack. First CD I bought. Second CD I bought, Stephen Curtis Chapman's, uh, for the sake of the call, Live, the live one. Uh, but so I took that boombox home and it was around Christmas time and I set it up and I turned on the Charlie Brown Christmas soundtrack in crisp, clear CD quality. And I lay down on the couch and I dimmed the lights in the living room and just looked at the glow of the tree and oh man, all of my, all my troubles just melted away. This season's hard because we, we, we've kind of been programmed to know we're supposed to feel that way. We're supposed to feel all the good, warm, fuzzy, glad tidings, Merry Christmas, jolly, blah, blah, blah. We're supposed to feel it. But as you get older, and for some, even in your youth, and if I look back and I'm honest with myself, there were plenty of times I realized that the holidays were not all sunshine and roses, uh, even within my life. And... The older we get, the longer our road is, the more days that pass, we learn this is complicated. This season, more than others, brings to the surface that, look, the world wants to be happy, we want to be jolly, we want to be, ah, we want to be Buddy the Elf. We really want to be Buddy the Elf, like some part of us really wants to be, I know, some of you are saying, no, I don't, but some of you do, I know, quietly, wish that you had the jolliness of Buddy the Elf. But we know it's, that's not how it is because the world's a mess. The world is a hot mess. And I'm supposed, to, I'm supposed to be excited about times with family and friends, but those relationships, what if they're broken and what if they're complicated? What if there's death and loss? What if there's tragedy? We know that life is not like that. We can try to fabricate all of it that we want to and we just, we just can't. And so uh, years ago, we embraced the season of, of Lent because the, what, oh, Advent, thank you, my wife. She's, yeah, she's got me, good job. We embraced the season of Advent a long time ago as a season of preparation because, you know, the phoniness of it all just really, like you just can't, you just can't shine a turd that much to, you're not supposed to say that in a sermon, I don't think, I'm sorry. We'll, we'll cut that out later, but for the live audience, thank you, we're really, Thank you for being here. But you can't, you, can't, you can't put that kind of shine on the horror and tragedy of human sin and of the brokenness of the world and get away with it for very long. It still smells bad. <laughs> I gotta let it go. It's the, it's the end of the sermon. I'm really stuck on that. I'm sorry. <clears throat> you get the point. That all of this is really meant to drive us. All, all of that, the, the, the joy that we're supposed to feel and the pain that we actually feel, all of that, and, and, some, and the joys that we do feel, because there's, there's some beauty in togetherness and in family, and there are moments of sweetness. Whether it's a, a good thing in our life, 
The beauties in our life are meant to be small foretastes, samplers, like the Sam's sampler people, just a little sample of something much better that you could buy for $19.99 in the freezer. No, that the good things in our life are meant to be beautiful tastes of something that lead us to the bigger truth, to the goodness of God in Christ Jesus. The pains in our life, sometimes those are barren desert wastelands that make our throat parched and dry, and what we're dry and thirsty for is the water of life that only Jesus can provide. And so, and so we wait, and we trust God imperfectly, we do this together, and we remember Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all of the ways that you use uh, our rights and our wrongs and our joys and our sorrows as pointers to you. And that you would take uh, Abraham and Sarah and use this as the, as the foundation story for the history of your people, that, that a story of waiting uh, in in pain and with patience and in frustration and in trial and in failure, even in our own failure, knowing that sometimes the thing we look back and we remember is our fault and our failure, but your faithfulness in the middle of it and your love surrounding us and your mercy and your grace being poured out on us in the middle of it and how beautiful you are. Help us in every moment of this season, as we step into Advent, as we move into the Christmas season, help us to see all of these things, the highs and the lows, as reminders, as pointers to you and the love that you've shown us in the person and work of Jesus. Send your spirit to empower your people to love and encourage those around us, and send the spirit to encourage even our own hearts in this time, and help us to wait, and help us to remember your goodness and your loving kindness and your mercy and your steadfast faithfulness. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Building our identity in Christ for the sake of the world. That's the mission of Refuge Church. For more information, visit us online at seekrefuge.net.